people have absolutely no confidence in Baltimore City Police. They violated their constitutional rights to be secure within their person and their property. It's like the police don't have any respect for us, period. It's a lot of brothers and women, too, that's incarcerated for things they had nothing to do with. Not a panacea. Constitutional policing just means treat everyone equally. Welcome to Truth and Reconciliation, a podcast that recounts the troubled history of law enforcement in Baltimore and the search for solutions to heal from it. A forum for providing a voice for people who have suffered at the hands of law enforcement and to inform and empower others through their experiences. And a show ultimately about holding power accountable through stories, thoughts, and discussion. A podcast about what ails us and sustains us too as we try to cure the violence that plagues the city. I'm Stephen Janice. I'm Taya Graham. And I'm Sean Yost, and we're your hosts. I think that the media was looking to um, follow something to blame Freddie Gray about. Today, we continue our discussion on the impact of the indictment of six Baltimore police officers after the death of Freddie Gray in police custody. It's a four-part series we're calling The Mosby Effect. The idea is to consider the charges not as a failure, but as a first step on a long and torturous road to real reform. And to take a critical look at what happened after the trial and how the indictments continue to impact the city in ways that often go unrecognized. All that coming up next on Truth and Reconciliation. Since the start of my administration, we have been and continue to be wholly committed to creating a fair and equitable justice system for all and holding people accountable for crimes that they commit regardless of age, race, color, sex, creed, socioeconomic status, or in this case, occupation. As a chief prosecutor elected by the people of Baltimore City, I made a promise that my prosecutors and I will never cower from our obligation to prosecute crimes where we believe that we have probable cause that a crime was committed. We're sworn to not only uphold the law and hold violent repeat offenders accountable, but we're also sworn to apply justice fairly and equally to everyone. That was Marilyn Mosby shortly after she dropped all charges against three remaining officers who had not yet been acquitted for their role in Gray's death. So what was the importance of Marilyn Mosby's speech? Well, it was sort of like a truth and reconciliation, to be honest. She spoke the words, and I think the true words, about what was going on with the justice system and an aspect of it that's never really discussed, which is how really police power is so integrated into our criminal justice system that there are many impediments to actually you know, being able to prosecute a police officer that are kind of unseen. It was a profound indictment of this system, which had been sort of growing and proliferating for years. And I think it was a watershed moment in Baltimore history. It was a speech that was unprecedented, but also revealing, because Mosby said something that no one, not a single voice in the city, had been willing to say, that the city's criminal justice system was rotten to the core. Her speech was groundbreaking, laying bare for the first time how inherently biased the justice system was. And how throughout the investigation, the police department worked against them. There was a reluctance 
and an obvious bias that was consistently exemplified not by the entire Baltimore Police Department, but by individuals within the Baltimore Police Department at every stage of the investigation, which became blatantly apparent in the subsequent trials. Although Commissioner Davis was and has been extremely accommodating, there were individual police officers, there were individual police officers that were witnesses to the case, yet were part of the investigative team. Interrogations that were conducted without asking the most poignant questions. Lead detectives that were completely uncooperative and started a counter-investigation to disprove the state's case by not executing search warrants pertaining to text messages among the police officers involved in the case, creating videos to disprove the state's case without our knowledge, creating notes that were drafted after the case was launched to contradict the medical examiner's conclusion, turning these notes over to defense attorneys months prior to turning them over to the state and yet doing it in the middle of trial. As you can see, whether investigating, interrogating, testifying, cooperating, or even complying with the state, we've all bore witness to an inherent bias that is a direct result of when police police themselves. But as Mosby remained defiant, something else was happening in Baltimore. At the invitation of then-Mayor Stephanie Rawlings-Blake, the Justice Department had begun its own investigation of Baltimore police. The Civil Rights Division was embedded in the department to conduct an expansive investigation. DOJ investigators reviewed arrest reports, policies and procedures, and even embedded themselves with officers on the street. And then, after months of work, this. Today, the Department of Justice announces the outcome of our investigation and issues a 163-page report detailing our findings. We conclude that there is reasonable cause to believe that BPD engages in a pattern or practice of conduct that violates the Constitution and federal anti-discrimination law. BPD engages in a pattern or practice of making unconstitutional stops, searches, and arrests using enforcement strategies that produce severe and unjustified disparities in the rates of stops, searches, and arrests of African Americans, using excessive force, and retaliating against people engaging in constitutionally protected expression. A scathing report that accused the department of everything Mosby had said, and more. The problems in Baltimore didn't happen overnight or appear in a day. The pattern of practice that we found results from long-standing systemic deficiencies in the BPD. A 164-page review that found the Baltimore Police Department had practiced illegal and unconstitutional tactics targeting African-American and poor neighborhoods. The report revealed all the controversial tactics and brutality the community had dealt with for years. Baltimore resident Devin Stevenson said there was nothing in the report that surprised him. Like, honestly, you know how people be like, when, when is this going to stop? I don't think it'll ever stop. It'll never stop. Unless they dismantle the whole justice system and rebuild it with proper structure and, prop and build it on something where it actually works for the people, it'll never stop. It was a pivotal moment for Baltimore. The corruption and the damage of policies like mass arrests and brutality 
were laid bare. So what was in the Department of Justice report? What was profound about that report was how it laid out that the department, that the police department basically had implemented unconstitutional strategies. Now, how do you interpret what unconstitutional means? It means basically illegal. And what it said was there is a systemic unconstitutional practices targeted at communities of color primarily African-American communities. It showed how the police had focused some of their worst and most brutal tactics at poor African-American neighborhoods on a regular basis. And basically, in in one fell swoop, uh, confirmed everything that critics of the police department and people who had suffered because of the policies had been saying for years. And to a certain extent, it was a moment of reckoning for the department that until Mosby's indictment had avoided scrutiny. Deputy State's Attorney Jan Bledsoe, who was the lead prosecutor on the Freddie Gray case, remembers her reaction to the report. A lot of people say, Marilyn Mosby, that this indictment led to all the other things, the Justice Department report, all this talk of reform. Do you think that's true? And if so, how did that work? Well, I know that in previous years, we've never had a justice report. I know that... um, the very things that we charged and complained of in the case are the the same complaints that came out in the justice report. Mm -hmm. And I know no other state's attorney has had uh, the courage to bring this to the attention of the public. And, and I, I think that, that because of the steps we took, um, this was unveiled and the justice department um, made their report and confirmed what, what we had believed was going on. And there were other efforts for reform. In Annapolis, activists lobbied for more civilian control of police. And even though those efforts were unsuccessful, the city soon entered a consent decree with the Department of Justice to institute major reforms. And while some remain skeptical, it is difficult to ignore the fact that all of this occurred after the indictment. So what other kinds of reforms occurred without Mosby? I think a lot of it is are things that are unseen. You know, I was talking to David Roca of the ACLU, and he was talking about how the police department um, had gotten body cameras and how he had looked at a lot of body cam footage from interactions with police after the death of Sean Souter and how all the police were unfailingly nice. And he also mentioned how when people get rides now in vans, that, you know, the police officers are very courteous and everyone mm. gets seat belted. It's these subtle things we don't see, the day-to-day interactions, whereas police would put Freddie Gray in the back of a van shackled just to punish him or for whatever reason we don't know. Uh, these things aren't happening now. At least they're not happening in ways that we know about. And, you know, I think just body cameras in themselves, uh, which is something that came after the indictment, was a very important part of giving more transparency to the public. So there have been many, many those of those kinds of incremental reforms that have occurred since the indictment happened. And so looking back to the day when Marilyn Mosby stood on the steps of the War Memorial to announce the charges, something immutable occurred, a shift in psychology of an entire city. That, in essence, a man could not die in police custody, as has happened in the past, and his death simply be ignored. University of Maryland law professor Doug Colbert says the prosecution itself led to change. That alone may be the best uh, feature that came from this prosecution, 
the public had an opportunity to learn what happened to Freddie Gray, uh, there really was no excuse, in my opinion, uh, to place uh, Mr. Gray in a vulnerable, highly vulnerable uh, position and to really not take the measures that were called for to protect his safety and his life. And that the criminal justice system, which had ruthlessly punished the people of the city with mass arrests and brutal tactics, could no longer act with impunity. And most important, that for the first time, the people who policed and the people of the city were equal in the eyes of the law. Civil rights attorney Dwight Pettit says the significance of the indictments were profound. She was doing the pragmatic thing uh, as a call for justice and a call for transparency uh, to tell the public this will, you, this will be thoroughly vetted. It will not be put under the rug. And so I, I, I concurred with her. I had supported her for state's attorney, and I supported her at that point in time for what she did. Now, on a, as a person who fought this for years and years, how did you feel that day when she announced those indictments? How did you feel as a person who had been in this fight for 40-some-odd years? I, I just felt that finally, through technology, uh, through video, through things that were taking place, uh, that the public was going to actually see uh, that some of us were not crazy and not screaming wolf all the time when no wolf existed, mm -hmm. that the public was actually going to see uh, the basis for persons like myself, activists and activist lawyers, mm -hmm. uh, for continuing to talk about police brutality being the normal and not the exception. But for Bledsoe, what has happened since her effort to hold police accountable does not completely resolve the pain of what happened during the trial. For her, the case was something more. It evoked a deeper sense that something was not right in this city and that the only hope we have is acknowledging the truth. So I think I think because um, there was so many preconceived ideas that were floated out to the media in this case, um, for right. instance, uh, Freddie Gray broke, actually hurt his neck because he was running from drug dealers or mm -hmm. he was involved in a car accident scam. Mm -hmm. I think that the media was looking to um, follow something to blame Freddie Gray about, as opposed to looking at the facts objectively. Still, there is hope. I think she reminded law enforcement um, that they have a very important job in terms of their relationship to community. And I think the officers who respect community uh, uh, understood that they have a lot of work to do to, uh, to mend the harm and the damage that, that's been done. Uh, Miss Mosby was one of the officials who really stood up for the people of the city, the people who generally don't get uh, the, the voice or the respect uh, that they're entitled. A glimmer of promise that may have all started with one woman's decision to take a stand. What did I do? What did I say? What did I want? Thank you for joining us on our four-part series, The Mosby Effect. We'd like to thank our guest, University of Maryland law professor Doug Colbert, civil rights attorney Dwight Pettit, Baltimore Sun reporter Luke Broadwater, Baltimore resident Devin Stevenson, and Deputy Baltimore State's Attorney, Jan Bledsoe. Truth and Reconciliation is produced by myself, 
Matteo Graham and Sean Yost for A Spectrum Productions. Truth and Reconciliation is engineered by Sienna Greaves, and it's edited by Stephen Janis. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast and contact us on Facebook and Twitter if you have a topic you want us to discuss. And thank you for joining us for Truth and Reconciliation. <laughs>